Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is week 11 of our study on Catholicism, and today we're going to go through the Holy Eucharist. So let's just get started. So what is the Holy Eucharist in the eyes of the Catholic Church? So this is what it says in their catechism regarding the Eucharist. The Holy Eucharist completes Christian initiation. And this is in paragraph 1322 and 1323. Those who have been raised to the dignity of the royal priesthood by baptism and configured more deeply to Christ by confirmation participate with the whole community in the Lord's own sacrifice by means of the Eucharist. At the Last Supper, on the night he was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. This he did in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages, until he should come again, and so to entrust to his beloved spouse, the Church, a memorial of his death and resurrection, a sacrifice of love, a sign of unity, a bond of charity, a paschal banquet in which Christ is consumed, the mind is filled with grace, and a pledge of future glory is given to us. Paragraph 1327 says, In brief, the Eucharist is the sum and summary of our faith. Our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist, and the Eucharist, in turn, confirms our way of thinking. Paragraph 1329, The Lord's Supper, because of its connection with the supper which the Lord took with his disciples on the eve of his Passion, and because it anticipates the wedding feast of the Lamb, in heavenly Jerusalem. The breaking of bread, because Jesus used this rite, part of a Jewish meat, when, as master of the table, he blessed and distributed the bread, above all at the Last Supper. It is by this action that his disciples will recognize him after his resurrection, and it is this expression that the first Christians will use to designate their Eucharistic assemblies. By doing so, they signified that all who eat the one broken bread, Christ, enter into communion with him and form but one body in him. Paragraph 1336. The first announcement of the Eucharist divided the disciples, just as the announcement of the Passion scandalized them. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The Eucharist and the cross are stumbling blocks. It is the same mystery and it never ceases to be an occasion of division. Will you also go away? The Lord's question echoes through the ages as a loving invitation to discover that He only has the words of eternal life, and that to receive in faith the gift of His Eucharist is to receive the Lord Himself. Paragraph 1357 we carry out this command of the Lord by celebrating the memorial of his sacrifice. In so doing, we offer to the Father what he has already given us, the gifts of his creation, bread and wine, which, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the words of Christ, have become the body and blood of Christ. Christ is thus really and mysteriously made present. Paragraphs 1365 and 1366 because it is the memorial of Christ's Passover, the Eucharist is also a sacrifice. 
the sacrificial character of the Eucharist is manifested in the very words of institution. This is my body, which is given for you. And this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. In the Eucharist, Christ gives the very body which he gave up for us on the cross, the very blood which he poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Eucharist is thus a sacrifice because it represents, makes present, the sacrifice of the cross, because it is its memorial and because it applies its fruit. Paragraph 1389. The Church obliges the faithful to take part in the divine liturgy on Sundays and feast days, and, prepared by the sacrament of reconciliation, to receive the Eucharist at least once a year, if possible during the Easter season. But the Church strongly encourages the faithful to receive the Holy Eucharist on Sundays and feast days, and more often still, even daily. The Council of Trent Session 13, Canons 1 and 2. If anyone denieth that in the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist are contained truly, really, and substantially the blood and body together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and consequently the whole Christ, but saith that he is only there in as a sign, or in figure, or virtue, let him be anathema. If anyone saith that, in the sacred and holy sacrament of the Eucharist, the substance of the bread and wine remains conjointly with the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and denieth that wonderful and singular conversion of the whole substance of the bread into the body, and of the whole substance of the wine into the blood, the species only of the bread and wine remaining, which conversion, indeed, the Catholic Church most absolutely calls transubstantiation. Let him be anathema. So I think we've got it down pat what the Catholic Church says about the Eucharist, and so we need to ask a question that might be in your mind right now. Is communion, the Lord's Supper, the same thing as partaking of the Eucharist? The short answer is no, but let me explain why. The Holy Eucharist also known as the Blessed Sacrament, the most excellent act of grace from the author of grace himself, is the most holy and important of all the Catholic sacraments. To the Catholic, all of the other sacraments are indeed channels of grace into the life of the believer, but the Eucharist contains Christ himself. Upon uttering the words of consecration, which is ritualistic, Christ instantly becomes the sacrifice on the altar, and the elements of the Eucharist transform the bread into his actual physical body, and the drink turns into his actual physical blood. To worship the Eucharist is synonymous to worshiping Christ to a Catholic. To not partake of the Eucharist is a damnable offense, meaning you can lose your salvation because the church teaches that it is necessary for salvation. So they follow John chapter 6, verse 53, where if you do so, you infuse divine grace into your life 
by literally eating Christ, who is a human like us. Therefore, this form of holy cannibalism is acceptable in the eyes of God and the Church to a Catholic. When a Christian church partakes of the Lord's Supper, is that what we're doing too? Let me be very clear that it is not the same thing. Far from it, in fact. The Bible is very clear that communion is a memorial, an act of remembrance of Christ's death upon the cross and the spilling of his blood to atone for the sins of the world. That's how it should be understood. We know that nothing magical happens when we take communion. But to be clear, it is very significant to do it. It is a significant event that should be treated with respect to the biblical standards according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 32. Paul warns us to not just go through the motions and take this practice lightly. But it is in no way stating that Christ himself is in the elements. Let's be very clear about that. When we partake of the bread, we are putting bread into our body, and it is symbolic to remember what Christ has done. It doesn't actually become a piece of the body of Jesus Christ inside of us. And if it does, if we, <laughs> if we think that it does, that really should sicken us, because we should not be taking part in any sort of cannibalistic ritual. So, in summary, we can say that the Catholic Church worships a false Christ. Because, again, the Eucharist represents the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, as if it wasn't enough the first time. There is unfortunately no nicer way to say this, but the idea that Christ can be controlled, commanded, or consumed by man is highly offensive to the true Jesus Christ and to the entire narrative of the Bible. By extension, anything offensive to God should offend us, right? So, I find this very offensive. To believe that anything not supported by Scripture is okay is a pagan thing, and it's a tool used by Satan to lead people away. Like all these other sacraments, the Church teaches that going through the motions of the Eucharist gives you some sort of grace. Going through the motions, even if you're not in it with your heart, right? And what does God say about that? He says that you worship me with your lips, but yet your heart is far from me. And God looks at the heart, right? Failing to partake of the Eucharist causes grace to be withheld from a person, so they say. But is that really how it works? This concept is not supported by Scripture at all. God does not need anything from us. And we have seen how completely powerless we are to save ourselves, and we have no sway in the outcome of our salvation. Grace alone is what causes us to be saved. Grace that is the result of something we did to provoke God to action is not grace. It's paganism. God is not a drive through window of grace. He is not a genie that grants wishes when you appease him. Grace is not some kind of divine drug where you have to go do certain things to get your next fix from the wellspring of God. 
and keep that spiritual high going. It doesn't work like that. That is why the Catholic Church worships the same empty rituals as the rest of the world religions do. To say that the Eucharist is a great evil taught by the Catholic Church is an understatement. Quite literally, there are hundreds of wafers and elements at the altar during the partaking of the Eucharistic sacrifice. By the priest's own words, and supported by their catechism, all of them become Christ. So how is that even possible? Does that mean that there's hundreds of Jesus Christs present at once? If that's true, then really the church accepts polytheism, right? The worship of multiple gods. There is no doubt that Catholics take their practice very seriously, or even think that they're doing something wrong. And because we are believers in Jesus Christ, and we know better than doing these things, this is where the loving correction comes into play, guiding them to the scriptures and to help them move away from this idolatry and to move them to the real truth that the Bible has. So with all that has been said up until this point, we need to stop and ask the Lord what he thinks. And he has already told us what he thinks through the Bible. Today I have six truths that we are going to evaluate and confirm through the Word of God. So the first one is this. We know that Christ is physically in heaven, and he is not in any wafer. In fact, where does it say he is? He is sitting at the right hand of God. Luke chapter 22, verse 69. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. But he, having offered one sacrifice for all sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Who is at the right hand of God? Jesus Christ, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Truth number two. The words of Jesus about eating his flesh and drinking his blood are spiritual, and he commands us to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's very different in understanding from the Catholic Church, because again, they're taking things spiritual literally, just like Nicodemus did. And they're taking things that are symbolic, literally, as well. John chapter 4, verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Philippians 3, 3. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, 
and put no confidence in the flesh. Truth number three. The Lord Jesus will physically remain in the heavenly places until he returns as a conqueror in the end times. Until then, we do not place Jesus into physical objects or pagan rituals. Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 through 30. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe him. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. That's where he is right now. He's not in any wafer. It's ridiculous to even have to say that. Second Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Truth number four. The adoration of the Eucharist is unbiblical, and it is simply idolatry. Israel has made this error many times in the past, and it is recorded in the Bible so that we do not make the same mistakes. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Exodus chapter 32, verse 4, and then verses 27 and 28. He took this, being Aaron, he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool to make it into a golden calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And if you go down to verses 27 and 28, 
he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh, and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp, and kill every man his brother, and every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about three thousand men of the people fell that day. And to be clear, the people that were killed were the ones that worshipped the golden calf. To make it very clear how strongly God does not like himself represented through physical objects. Because the Catholic Church teaches you to pray to the Eucharist. And that is idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 21. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Truth number five. The Bible teaches that Jesus is connected to us through the Holy Spirit, who indwells all believers at all times. The Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And lastly, truth number six. The practice of idolatry is against God's standards. He has commanded us to stay away from it at all costs. Jonah, chapter 2, verse 8. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Luke, chapter 11, verse 28. But he said, being Christ, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from it.
Do not resist it, but run away from it. Flee. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 through 8. I heard another voice from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God, who judges her, is strong. So that's all I have for the Holy Eucharist. We only have two more studies left for this series. But I must caution you that these things, again, are meant to be addressed with people in love. Again, my issue is not with people who believe in the Catholic Church. My issue is with the leadership and the ones who are putting these constructs into place to deceive the masses. There are just so many people who blindly believe it and are so deceived. But we who know better can point them to the scriptures that they have in their Bible too, and we can show them the error of their ways so that we can get them out of this situation. If you're a Catholic listening to this, or you know somebody who is, I encourage you to encourage them to leave the church, to leave the Catholic church and get away from that environment. Because once we are aware that those things are wrong, we have an obligation by God to remove ourselves from that environment. Just like the Lord told us in the scriptures just now, flee from idolatry. Run away from it. Don't try to compromise with it, but get away from it. There is a better way. 
and it's spiritual, and it's the relationship with God. It's not religion. Religion means absolutely nothing without a relationship with God. So use this as a tool to communicate with those who believe in this faith so that we can show them a better way. But that is all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.